Well, I invite you to please rise for the call to worship. The call to worship this morning is from Psalm 40, verses 1 and 2. To the choir master, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, how good, how gracious, how loving, how wonderful you are. Father, we thank you that your son, Jesus Christ, is the rock, the foundation, our Savior, our Lord. Father, we pray that in the power of the Holy Spirit, you would fix our eyes on your Son, Jesus Christ, that we would find all our peace, security, hope in you and in you alone. In Christ's glorious name, amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I invite you to sing with me number 254-254. Let all things now living a song of thanksgiving. You may be seated. 
our time of confession and pronouncement of pardon and forgiveness found in Jesus Christ. We're going to be looking at James chapter 3. James chapter 3. I'll be reading James 3 verses 13 through 18, leading us in a prayer of confession and continuing on in James chapter 3. So James chapter 3, starting at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have displayed yourself as holy, holy, holy. That your son, Jesus Christ, would so empty himself, so humble himself in the form of a servant to be born of a woman taking on full humanity. Though living a perfect sinless, holy life to be mocked, to be persecuted, and to so humble himself to die the death of crucifixion, to be forsaken by you, to be crushed, to be the Lamb of God, paying the full penalty of the sins of those who had come to repentance and faith, Satisfying your holy, just wrath. Our sin placed on him, reckoned to him. Oh, Father, again, as we consider the amazing glory of the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, crucified. Again, Father, we, we express our gratitude, our thanksgiving. So, Father, again, we want to humble ourselves before you and, and take this time to confess to you those times over this last week where, where rather than picking up our cross, we, we sought to elevate ourselves in our pride, in our presumption, or in hypocrisy. Rather than sacrifice and service, we, we sought to elevate ourselves above those around us in thought or word or action. So, Father, again, we take this time to confess to you, knowing the glorious righteousness of your Son, Jesus Christ. We confess to you now in our hearts and in our minds.
James 3, verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle and open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Know this, that if you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've been given the gifts of repentance and faith, know this, that you are at peace with your heavenly Father. You have been justified, you have been redeemed, and you have been adopted as his child whom he loves dearly. In Christ's glorious name, amen. For our confession of faith, we continue going through the fifth main point of doctrine of the Kanzador, Perseverance of the Saints. So this morning we are doing Article 12. Article 12 concerning the Perseverance of the Saints. So I invite you to read this along with me. This assurance as an incentive to godliness. Oh, I'm sorry. This assurance of perseverance, however, so far from making true believers proud and carnally self-assured, is rather the true root of humility, of childlike respect, of genuine godliness, of endurance in every conflict, of fervent prayers, of steadfastness in cross-bearing and in confessing the truth, and of well-founded joy in God. Reflecting on this benefit provides an incentive to a serious and continual practice of thanksgiving and good works as is evident from the testimonies of Scripture and the examples of the saints. Article 12 is such a beautiful article describing the fruit of the Holy Spirit for those who are in Christ, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and have assurance of salvation in Christ. Beautiful depiction of a childlike gratitude and thanksgiving. Well, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are the rock. You are our fortress, our strength, and ever-present help in trouble. Oh, Father, we thank you that we can trust you in all circumstances, in all context. For you are all sovereign, all knowing, all powerful. You are just, you are holy. You are good, you are perfect. You are wise. You are just. So Father, we pray that you would fix our eyes on your son Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords that you'd fix our eyes, our hearts, our minds on things above, not on things below. Oh, Father, we pray that you would fix our hope, our peace, our security, and the things that do not perish. 
Help us, O Lord, as we continue to be enticed and tempted by the idols and the deceptions in the world around us. Oh, Father, we pray that you would grow us in the truth, grow us in the word, grow us up in the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ, so that we would know the truth, live in freedom, live for your glory, live in love, knowing that you have first loved us. So, Father, we pray that you would strengthen us. Father, we pray for all the families represented here. Oh, Lord, that you would help us. That you'd help us to to fix our lives on your word, on your truth. Father, we pray for the marriages that that they would display Ephesians chapter 5, Christ in the church. Oh, Father, we do pray for the children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Oh, Lord, that they would know you. That they would seek to serve you and worship you. That they'd give you glory with their lives. Father, we pray that you would would give them eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts to believe and minds to understand the glorious truth of the gospel. Father, we pray for the lost, family member, friends, co-workers, those you've brought into our lives. Oh, Father, help us, O Lord, to be ministers of reconciliation, to lift up the gospel, to lift up your truth, with patience and love and boldness, humility before you. Oh, Father, we thank you for the church. We pray that you would strengthen and guide us, help us as the body of your Son, Jesus Christ, to be of one heart and one mind. Help us, O Lord, to strive side by side for the gospel. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Help us, O Lord. Father, we do continue to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world facing tremendous persecution and opposition. Oh, Father, we pray for the church in North Korea, throughout the Middle East. Father, we pray for the church in North Africa, throughout Indonesia. Oh, Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who face face torture, imprisonment, martyrdom because of their faith that your son Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, their Savior. So, Father, we pray that you continue to strengthen them. Help us, O Lord, help us to be bold with the opportunities we have as we seek to humbly stand before you. O Father, we do continue to pray for those who are in positions of power and authority over us. Father, we do pray for the president and his administration for our governor, local county commissioners and leaders. Oh, Father, we pray for wisdom, guidance, and understanding. Father, we do pray that you would would help us. Help us to live according to the Spirit and less and less according to our old flesh. Father, we pray that you would help us to be people who submit before you, giving you glory in all things. Father, we do continue to pray for those in a time of need. Father, we do continue to lift up to you, Deborah. Oh, Father, we pray for healing, 
for strength, for comfort, as she continues in this, this affliction, in the pain that she's experiencing in this illness, Father, we pray for wisdom and guidance, that you would just draw her ever closer to you, fixing her eyes on your son. Oh, Father, we do continue to pray for Chris, oh Lord, as, as he continues to face the, the difficulties of chemotherapy, radiation, his advancing cancer, oh Father, we pray for him, that his eyes would be fixed on your son, for your comfort, your strength, your peace in the midst of this time. Father, we do continue to pray for Ruth's mother. We thank you, O oh Lord, for, for how things are going through this time. We pray for that you would be her strength, her comfort, her peace. Father, we do continue to lift up to you, Marcia, that she would know your peace. Continue, O oh Lord, as you, as you do to hold her in your righteous right hand, to lead her and guide her, even as the dementia advances. Father, we pray that she would just know your peace and comfort. Father, we thank you. And it is because of your grace, mercy, and love that we say the prayer that our Savior taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts. As we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom. And the power. And the glory forever. Amen. Well, I invite you to please rise and read with me the passage of Scripture we're looking at this morning. We are now in the daily practical commands of Christ for the church as it longs to give God glory. From verses 12 to 22, you have a list of these commands within the church. So we are entering into this. So this morning we're looking at 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 and 14. I ask you to read this along with me. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. Your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, shining the light of your truth. Father, we pray that you would lead us and guide us. We are absolutely dependent on the Holy Spirit to grow us in wisdom and understanding, discernment. Your word, O Lord, is all authoritative, all sufficient, inerrant, and infallible. 
Oh, Father, we pray that you would grow us in the truth. For to know the truth of your Son, Jesus Christ, is to be set free. In Christ's glorious name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I'd like to invite, if there are any children who would like to, to come forward to the front rows here. Good morning. Are there ever times that you disobey your parents? Yeah? You, that's happened before? Why would you do that? And you didn't. He asked you to get the applesauce and you didn't. So, well, you know what? There are times that I disobeyed my parents. There are times I actually still disobey my mother. So why do we disobey? Are there times? Yeah, why do we disobey? Because we're sinful. Oh, exactly, because we're sinful. <laughs> and that's what you can tell your parents when you disobey and they're upset. You say, I'm, I'm sinful. <laughs> so, but there, there's this reality of the need to strive to be obedient, to be obedient. So the passage of Scripture we're looking at is first and foremost obeying God. So we want to obey God because Christ, our Heavenly Father, sent His Son to die on the cross for those who would trust and believe in Him. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. So there's this reality of wanting to obey if we know that God so loved us, he sent his son, so our response to the love of God is is thankfulness and to obey out of gratitude and thanksgiving that God has done everything for us to make us right with him. So we see where in scripture where God gives us our parents, he gives us uh, leaders, leaders in the church and that, so that we could grow in the things of God. So as we're going through this passage of scripture, I, I want you to think about that, what it is to, 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 to so trust, so, so know the love of God in Christ that your desire is to, is to out of thanks, to obey, to give God glory in those things. So let's pray. Father, we pray that you help us. We we are sinful. We thank you that you sent your son so that we could know your love, have forgiveness, and live for you. Father, we pray that you will help us. We are weak, but you are strong. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. You guys can head back to your seats. Well, we are looking at, as I said before, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is a new section, a new theme within 1 Thessalonians. And as the Apostle Paul often does in his letters, 
The first parts of the letters, he lifts high Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified. And what it is that God would so love that he would send his son to die on the cross. To pay the penalty of the sins of those of God's elect, of every tribe, nation, language, and people. Those whom he would call and draw, that that Christ would be the substitute, that he would pay the full penalty of their sins. He would satisfy the holy, just wrath of God so that we could be justified, redeemed, made right with our Heavenly Father. And, And that's first and foremost the focus for the Apostle Paul in letter after letter after letter. And often, toward the end of the letters, then he gives the practical commands. The one another commands within the church, within the body of Christ, amongst those who have been saved, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And this is how we are to live out of gratitude and thanksgiving. Because we were dead in our trespasses and sins, we could do nothing to save ourselves. So once we have been redeemed, born again, made alive out of gratitude and thanksgiving, out of praise for God, we strive to obey. We strive to give God glory by living for Jesus Christ. Because we understand our life is Christ. We we have died to our old life, to the things of this world, our old life of selfishness and idolatry and immorality. We, We have died to that. So our life is Christ. So again, we enter into the one another sections of the Apostle Paul, these commands for the church. And again, the church in Thessalonica was a healthy church. It was a God-glorifying church. Again, if you turn to the beginning of 1 Thessalonians to see the context again, First Thessalonians chapter one, verse two. This was a, a healthy church. This was a church in obedience to God and his word. It was a church under tremendous persecution and opposition, but, but it was by and large a faithful church. So what the apostle Paul is doing in our passage is how to continue to grow up into Christ, to be all the more faithful, all the more true, united in the gospel. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. So again, here's the context. This is church in Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. We always thank God for all of you. Mentioning you in our prayers, we continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So you see there and within this church, the, the faith, the love, and the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. And these things are growing in a midst of tremendous persecution and opposition. The church in Thessalonica was being persecuted 
There were those who came out of Judaism that the synagogue was continued to threaten family members, families divided because of people coming to Christ. You have the Roman authorities. You have those of still in the midst of pagan idolatry around who are, who are forsaking families being divided because of those coming to Christ. Persecution, opposition, people losing their jobs, losing their homes, facing imprisonment. This is the context of Thessalonica. Again, 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Acacia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. So this is the reality of what God is doing within the church in Thessalonica. They are growing and learning and proclaiming the gospel, even in the midst of tremendous suffering and persecution. They are losing their lives for Christ because their life is Jesus Christ. So that's the context of the church in Thessalonica. Again, if you go to chapter 2, verse 13, again, you see this reality. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. So it makes sense. The reason why so many in the church of Thessalonica were so willing out of gratitude and thanksgiving to lose their lives for Christ is because they understood, they believed, they trusted in the truth of the gospel and the authority of God's word. That God's word is truth, that it is living and active, that it lays out for them what is true life. So it's this, this, this striving out of gratitude and thanksgiving to lift up, to hold on to, to maintain the authority of God's word and the truth of the gospel, no matter what context, no matter what the pain, no matter what the suffering, no matter what the difficulty. Again, if you continue on in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 2 verse 14, for you, brothers, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen the same things those churches suffered from the Jews. 
who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to all men. So here we see the church in Thessalonica is in a context of what Jesus made clear in John 15 and John 17, that if they called Jesus Beelzebub, if they likened him unto a demonic, evil spirit, how much more are they going to malign the church of God? The world will hate the people of God because the people of God are not of the world anymore. We have been called out. We have been set free. We have been transformed. We are being sanctified. And we belong to Jesus Christ. So now if you go to chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 1. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God as in fact you are doing, now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do so more and more. So that's the vital verse to understand what's taking place in chapter 5. In chapter 5. And that's, that's a different context for First and Second Corinthians. In First and Second Corinthians, when you get to the one another command, so much of the context is because there's so much division, so much animosity, so much continued immorality and idolatry that the Apostle Paul is like, do I have to, if I come back to you now, I'd have to come with a stick. So please, obey Christ. So that's 1st, 2nd Corinthians. That's not the context of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. This is the context of 1st, 2nd Thessalonians. Again, chapter 4, verse 1. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. And in fact, as in fact you are living, now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do so more and more. That's the context of 1st Thessalonians chapter 5. It's that more and more. Why? Because as was beautifully illustrated by Isaiah in the children's moment, we are sinners. We need to keep growing in the things of God. We are sinners saved by grace. So we continually be sanctified. So that's that more and more reality of our sanctification process. So again, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 2, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. And that's the authority that 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 22 is founded on. It's the authority of Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. So when we come to verse 12, speaking of the under shepherds, the pastors, the elders, the overseers, the leaders in the church, we, we are under shepherds. Who's the shepherd? Jesus Christ. Who's the king? Jesus Christ. Who's Lord? Jesus Christ. So that's the context. The authority of these verses is in the authority of Jesus Christ. 
That's who is the shepherd of the sheep. That's who is the king, the savior, and Lord. So that's very important. Very important. Because throughout the history of the church, within the visible church, many churches have faced devastating and wreck and ruin because of leaders who forget that they are under shepherds. And in pride and hypocrisy, they start feeding on the sheep rather than feeding the sheep. And that leads to division and harm. So let's look now at our passage here. Again, as I said, 1 Thessalonians 5. Starting at verse 12, you have these final one another commands. These are commands. This is what it is to obey Jesus Christ out of gratitude and thanksgiving. So we are going to start looking at this passage, verses 12 through 14. And here the Apostle Paul begins with authority within the church. Authority within the church. First and foremost, who is the authority within the church? Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. And how that then plays out within the local body. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting at verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers. This is a very different tone than what you have in Galatians and 1 and 2 Corinthians because of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. They, they were by and large an obedient, faithful congregation. So this is just encouraging how to live more and more. So, so the Apostle Paul addresses this, framing this with an asking, an asking, a, a request. He's, he's pleading with them before the Lord. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Again, verse 12, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Admonish you. So there are three distinct realities there we want to carefully look at. And again, I just want to make clear Whenever I preach by God's grace and mercy, (laughs) I get convicted. It's not because I'm doing the preaching. It's because I'm trying to rightly handle the word of God and God's word is living and active and it cuts and divides. So this is a sermon like all of them that I am convicted that I need to be doing this. What's 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 1? More and more. More and more. So I am not preaching this based on someone who has achieved the mountaintop of this verse. No, this is, this is as convicting to me as I hope God's word is always as convicting to each and every one of us. So again, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12, we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you. Who labor among you. So this is the reality of the leadership that is given by Christ within the church. If you look at Ephesians 4, it's a beautiful passage to help us understand what this means, that God has given, that Christ has given, that the Holy Spirit 
empowers and gifts and draws people to be in leadership as under shepherds within the church. What is first and foremost the purpose of this authority and this leadership? Ephesians 4, starting at verse 11, is is one of the most crucial passages to understand what Paul is teaching and conveying for us here. Ephesians 4, starting at verse 11. And he gave, the he there being Jesus Christ, it speaks of his ascension into heaven. So that's where Christ is bodily in heaven at the right hand of the Father. So our over shepherd, our chief shepherd, the head of the church, the church is his body. He is bodily at the right hand of the Father. And this is what he does, Ephesians 4, 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and now we are in the context of 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 and 14, the shepherds and teachers. So here's the, this is what we have continued throughout the, Until Christ's second coming, we have the elders, the pastors, the leaders, the overseers, the under-shepherds, the shepherds and teachers. And what is the Apostle Paul focusing their purpose and authority in? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's it. Every saint, every called out one, Every one whom Christ has died for, whom the Holy Spirit has made alive and is indwelling, who is a part of the body of Christ, that the first and foremost, that the shepherds and teachers, based on God's word given to us by the apostles and the prophets, they've written and and given us, we have God's word, so the shepherds and teachers Our whole focus is to equip the saints for ministry. Every saint with God's word. To be living for God's glory. To be living out of gratitude and thanksgiving with the gifting and callings to be equipped for ministry. So in that regard, it's it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That we are all, if we are in Christ, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we are ministers of reconciliation. Every saint, every saint is a minister of reconciliation to proclaim the gospel, to share the gospel, to lift up the gospel. In whatever context and opportunity we have, we are first and foremost ministers of reconciliation to the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified. So that's what we find here that that Christ has given. He first gave the apostles, the prophets. We see that throughout Acts. We see that given. That's how we have our New Testament. And we continue now today to have the shepherds and teachers. Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. That's the more and more. The building up, growing up in the likeness of Christ in that regard. Verse 13, what does such 
equipping and building up produce unity. Unity. That's what's so vitally important. Verse 13 of Ephesians 4, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Wow. So you see why it's always more and more? What is the standard that we who have been saved and are being sanctified and will be glorified, what is the standard that we're growing up into? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. That's that's the standard. So you see where that's more and more. That's more and more until our dying breath (laughs) or the Lord comes, whichever happens first. But that's more and more. That's the reality. It's Jesus Christ. That's who we're growing up in. So that's what the shepherds and elders, the leaders, the teachers are equipping that, that in God's word, through that care, we are growing up into Jesus Christ. So again, Ephesians 4, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's it. That's first and foremost the work of the under-shepherd. And that's, again, what we see the Apostle Paul teaching in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you. So that's the labor. That's the labor that, that through, through love, through patience, through care, through correcting and exhorting and rebuking with the word of God, that we would be reading and teaching, instructing God's word, that every saint would be growing up in the likeness of Christ more and more, more and more, more and more. Through the word of God and the continual proclamation of the gospel. So that's the labor. That's the labor. That's why the Apostle Paul, whenever a church was started, elders needed to be put in place. If you go to Acts 14, this is the model. This is, this is the vital necessity for this. Acts 14, starting at verse 21. Acts 14, verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. You see the need for the continual strengthening and encouraging because of the many tribulations. And that's what the church in Thessalonica was going through, many tribulations. So that's why the need of this continual strengthening, encouraging, 
correcting, rebuking, exhorting, admonishing in the word, the word, the word, the gospel, Jesus Christ, high and lifted up, that eyes would be fixed on Christ, that hearts would be fixed on Christ, that Christ would be your life. in the midst of the hatred and opposition of the world. That you know where your love is. It's not found in the things of this world that perish. It's found in Christ. It's found in God. So that's where your heart, that's where your eyes, that's where your mind is to be fixed in the imperishable love of God in Christ Jesus. So why this is important, why this is the first and foremost, the laboring of the leadership within the church is to prevent verse 14 of Ephesians 4. So again, Ephesians 4, verse 14. So that we may no longer be children. Immature in the scriptures, immature in the, in the truths of the gospel, immature, so that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes." What's the opposite of unity and the love and hope and faith in Christ is contention and division because people are being pulled apart, pulled away from Christ, away from the authority of God's word by the lies and deceptions of the world and the devil and the old desires of the fallen flesh that continue to wage war against us. So that's why this is first and foremost the laboring of the elders of the church is to prevent that. That's why again, Ephesians 4 verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. There it is. That's the chief focus of this laboring. To grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's it. Laboring that every part of the body of Christ would be equipped and working in such a way that there is health within that local body of Christ as ministers of reconciliation, building each other up, loving one another, reaching out to the lost, dying for Christ. That's it. That's the body functioning and working as a healthy, united whole. That's the focus. That's the labor. That's the labor in the word of God, in the gospel that is to be first and foremost. That's why, again, in Acts 14, the apostle Paul would go and strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. 
Acts 14, verse 23, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So that's that vital necessity of that leadership structure under shepherds, under Christ, in the authority of his word, his authority, seeking to equip the saints for ministry. So 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you. That labor, that word is for a, a, a ongoing, intense giving of oneself, muscle-aching, sweat-producing labor. That's what that is. That is an exerting Labor is the Greek word used there. Who labor among you and are over you. That's the authority. That's, that's as under shepherds of Christ, that's the authority given. To, to see that and, and to realize that, it's, if you go to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, this is, this is the presented the qualifications and this authority within the elders, leaders, overseers within the church. So first is 1 Timothy 3. This, this authority is, again, insofar as they are of orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Remember what orthodoxy is? That's right teaching, proper teaching of the doctrines or traditions handed down by the apostles of God's word. Orthopraxy is right and faithful, true living. How one conducts themselves. Both are of vital importance for this reality of the elders. So 1 Timothy 3, verse 1, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well and with all dignity keep his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. That's the warning and danger there. Again, Titus chapter 1 is another key area of, this, of the, the qualifications of those who have been given this authority as under shepherds of Christ, Titus chapter 1, verse 5. Again, here we see the practice and the necessity of elders within every church. Titus 1, 5. 
This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward. There, there it is. God's steward. That's first and foremost. That's, that's Ephesians 4. That's that equipping the saints of ministry, caring for, dying for, seeking to serve the people of God. Under their care, they are a steward. They're a God's steward caring for the people of God. Again, verse 7, for an overseer, a God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Verse 9, he must hold firm. This is this key reality of the, of the ability to teach and to have this authority. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. That's the key. So again, the only authority that an under-shepherd has is insofar as they are under the chief shepherd and they are holding to the authority of his word and teaching according to the doctrines handed down by the apostles. Verse 10 of Titus 1, for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silent since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. And that's where the Apostle Paul is not only giving the, the qualifications of those who are called and gifted and, and are, have that authority as under shepherds, but also he's warning against those who take that authority on themselves but are not true apostles who are not in our day true elders, teachers, and shepherds. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. They want to feed on the sheep rather than feed the sheep. So that's the warning there and, and, the, and the discerning for the church in that regard. So again, we see in 1 Thessalonians 5.12, the first reality, we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you. They're, to give that respect and honor and, 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 and listening to, receiving the correction as is in alignment with God's word and the authority given down by the apostles. To respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. And here's the key word, admonish you. Admonish you. We see that's the word also in verse 14. If you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, that same word admonish is also for each and every member of the body. We admonish one another. We, we are striving to correct, rebuke, and exhort one another with patience and love. So that admonishing is something 
that is within the body one another. But here we have first the Apostle Paul speaking of that the key need of that admonishing of the leadership within the church of the sheep of the flock. So admonish, admonish. What does admonish mean? Admonish is careful, patient instruction for the purpose of correction. Careful, patient, loving instruction for the purpose of correction. That would be some of the best ways to understand the Greek word there for admonish. One of the most beautiful places where this word is used that that is a tremendous help for me is 1 Corinthians 4. Here you see this word admonish just presented in the most, most full and beautiful way of what it is capturing, what it means to admonish, to admonish. Whenever I think of the word admonish, again, this patient, loving, correction, instruction for correction, I always think of driving with my grandfather before they took away his license. So my grandfather, he, was, he had uh, advanced Parkinson's disease. He should not have been driving, but he liked to drive his old Ford pickup and go on errands. So I remember, and he was wise enough, he knew, even though I was only 12 at the time, he knew that he should have someone with him when he's driving. So he always had me with him at that point when he was driving. He wouldn't drive alone. So he knew that he needed at times corrections. So there'll be times where we're driving along and he would start falling over. And he didn't have the muscle control and ability to right himself. And what happens when you fall over and you are gripping the wheel? Well, the, the wheel turns as you're going over. So the reason he had me in the vehicle is he knew that would happen. And as it would happen more and more. And what would I do? He'd say, Jake, Jake. And I would patiently push him back up and... With that, the win, we'd be back on the road. I mean, that, that's, so we'd go along. But to me, that just so encapsulated that word because I loved my grandfather and I want us to stay on the right direction. So I would carefully and patiently get him back on the right course by, by that's this word. That's what this word is, is a careful, loving correction and instruction to get on the right road, the right direction, to go in the right way. That's what admonish means. So again, 1 Corinthians 4, this is one of the most beautiful passages that capture that word because again, we're going to see that word in verse 14. This is an important word that the Apostle Paul is going to use not only in 1 Thessalonians, but also 2 Thessalonians. Admonish, admonish. So 1 Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9. Now remember, the church in Corinth, this is a very different context than the church in Thessalonica. So you're going to see a different tone, but the same overall love and desire to grow up into Christ. So 1 Corinthians 4, verse 9. 
For I think, for I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death. Because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. But for you are but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, that's the same word used in verse 12, that laboring over, that, that, that exerting hard disciplined work. And we labor working with our hands. When reviled, we blessed. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. You see, you don't respond reviling for reviling. Maligning with maligning. If, if one is admonishing, one returns blessing for curse. There's that patient, loving, deaf to self-reality of that admonishing. So again, verse 13, when slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world. That's what accumulates at the bottom of your trash bag or the dumpster out there. That's that oozing mass of different fluids and chemicals that kind of congeal. That's what that word's capturing. That's the scum. Not a pleasant imagery or smell, or, but that's, that's what Apostle Paul's saying. That's, that's, in the eyes of the world, that's, that is the church. That is the apostle. That is a pastor, an elder, an under-shepherd. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. There it is. To admonish is to, with patience and love, to instruct for correction always for the prayerful, hopeful desire that the correction, the people will grow up in the likeness of Christ. It is discipline always for the purpose of correcting and restoration and growing up in the Christ. That's the correction. That's the correction. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. So this is the imagery, because that's first and foremost what parents are to do with their children. They're, they're in love and patience admonishing them. They're, they're teaching and instructing them in the things of the Lord to admonish them. If there's a pot of boiling water, don't reach up and grab the handle. There, there's painful consequences for that. You're, you're admonishing, you're, you're giving wisdom and, and correction out of patience and love that they would go the right direction in all these aspects of their life. That's the admonishing. But I admonish you as beloved children. Verse 15, again, here's the nature of this admonishing that Paul's instructing in the church of Thessalonica. 
Second, on 1 Corinthians 4.15, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. So here the Apostle Paul is speaking of this special apostolic role he has in the founding of these churches. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. So that is the focus of this laboring of the authority and of the admonishing is first and foremost that we are growing up in the likeness of Christ and also that we are imitating, believing in and living according to the word of God. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, given by the apostles, our spiritual fathers, that we would grow up into Christ. So again, this is 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Verse 13, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. There's that, that, that care, that love, that, that, that togetherness, that we are a family, that we are united, that, that we, one another, are encouraging and supporting and building each other up in the truth. This is, you find this not only by the Apostle Paul, this is spoken again and again throughout the scriptures, the necessity of this relationship you see Peter speaks of this in 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5, starting at verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clove yourselves all of you, that's each and every one of us, with humility toward one another. So within that esteeming and, and loving and respecting is a humble posture that we have with one another. That's why a church needs a plurality of elders. It can't be just a one-person autocracy or dictatorship. You, you need that continual one another correcting, rebuking within the leadership. And we need that within each other as the church. And I'm very thankful. I'm very thankful that as the Apostle Paul can write 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 for the church in Thessalonica, I can preach 
1 Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13 to a church where this is taking place. What a joy. What a joy that is for a, for a pastor and for an elder. What a joy that is. Because that's what, that's what the author of Hebrews speaks of. In, in Hebrews chapter 13, again, the author of Hebrews is dealing with the same reality. Hebrews 13, verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Again, Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. There's that under-shepherd of the chief shepherd. As those who will have to give an account Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. So that's what the Apostle Paul is speaking of. That's what he's presenting here within 1 Thessalonians 5. The the vital importance of us growing up into Christ and and the unity. That's how verse 13 ends. Be at peace among yourselves. And to have that peace, whether it's peace within the marriage, you have Christ in the church, where Christ is dying for and giving his life for his bride and the bride is respecting and submitting to Christ. You have that, that's what produces that peace within the marriage. This is what produces peace within the local congregation, within the body, where, where the elders are, are, are dying for and, and, and seeking to serve and labor to equip the saints, and the saints are respecting and loving, and you have that relationship. That is where the health and the glorification of Christ and that peace is being made evident. It's, it's, it's a wondrous thing to be able to serve within a church where the people hunger and thirst for the gospel, where they understand where Christ is their life, where they know that it's God's word is where their authority is. And that's why I'm so thankful that here at Anchor of Hope, we have a context like that of 1 Thessalonians 5. But as with 1 Thessalonians 5, (laughs) I fall short of the glory. So I need continual encouragement, admonishing and correcting and rebuking with patience and love. And I know that's what's needed by each and every member of the body here. So that's my hope and prayer that that we will grow in this glorious reality of 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 and 13, more and more, more and more. How do we do that? Well, we love because God first loved us. The more we grow in an understanding of the love of Christ for us, of his sacrifice for us, of the gospel of him crucified the more we grow in our love for one another. Picking up our cross and dying for one another and caring for one another. Let us pray. Oh, Father. 
We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, the good shepherd who laid down his life. Oh, Father, we thank you that your son, Jesus Christ, made clear that in the power of the Holy Spirit, the sheep will hear their shepherd's voice. Father, we pray that we would we would hear that we would listen, be guided by the Holy Spirit in your word, in your truth. And that we would grow in your love. In Christ's glorious name. Amen. Well, I invite you to please rise and sing with me number 340. There is a fountain filled with blood. Yeah.
Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I invite you to close with me with the Gloria Patria. Go in peace.